BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, a journalist returns to her Mississippi hometown to investigate the 20-year-old murder of her grandmother. Why does everyone think her cousin did it? We'll look at the latest season of Witnessed, Devil in the Ditch. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hey, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of the Piper Green series of cozy mysteries, Laura Bricker. Hey, Laura. Hey, Rebecca. And finally, our resident Doubting Thomas, the author of the City Trilogy of Novels, host of the Strange Arrivals podcast, and our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast host, Toby Ball. Hey, Toby. Hey, Rebecca. All right. So, Kevin, this is obviously Thursday's program. Mm -hmm. What is happening on next Monday's show? Yeah, next Monday, we're going to be talking about the podcast Unreformed, the story of the Alabama Industrial School for Negro Children. All right. So tell me, was it yesterday, the next episode of Strange Arrivals dropping? Yeah. So I think it's episode seven. So we're actually, it's the second of a three episode little kind of mini block in the middle of the the season which is about as close to true crime as Strange Arrivals gets. It's about a alien abduction researcher who uses some very ethically questionable, uh, it's not really techniques, but he uses uh, hypnosis for certain nefarious purposes on a woman who he's actually uh, hypnotizing over the phone from across mm, the Dr. world. Is Dante? Yeah, it's very Dr. Dante-ish, but if Dr. Dante believed in aliens and was evil. Actually, I shouldn't oh. say evil, uh, but sort of very unethical, and it's just kind of hard to grasp kind of where he's coming from. Anyway, if uh, if you've been kind of haven't listened to Strange Arrivals because you're not into UFOs or aliens or stuff like that, this is like, it's definitely like true crime adjacent. So it might be a, a chance to like get a taste of it and then you can just blow off everything else. <laughs> get a sweet, sweet taste of that true crime adjacent UFO content. Exactly. From Kobe Ball. Exactly. Awesome. You can tell all your friends. What are, what is it? What are the names of what are like what are sort of the subtitles of the episodes? Do you know? I think I named them just because I wanted to make sure that people kind of realized it was an ongoing thing. I think it's called The Case of Emma Woods Parts One, Two, and Three. All right. Let's make sure that we know that people should check those out. We'll share them on social media. 
and uh, awesome. amplify your social media posts about them too so they're easy for folks to find. Okay, Tobes? Gracias. All right. Well, I am really looking forward to talking about the podcast. We're going to be talking about this episode, so I really want to get to it. Let's go ahead and drop that first clip right now. This is the story of my family and our family murder in a corner of the Deep South where murders don't get solved. It's about jealousy and a century-old sibling rivalry. It's about what makes someone seem guilty and who you choose to believe. For 20 years, journalist Larison Campbell has been haunted by the murder of her grandmother in her Mississippi home. Known affectionately as Presh, the victim was found bludgeoned in her parlor, a towel over her face and her purse dumped out. Despite a full-scale investigation, the case soon went cold. Nothing appeared to be rummaged through. Whatever was done was done right there. But I think, I really think it's somebody that knew her. I do. Knew that she lived there, knew how to come up that access road. Campbell returned to her hometown to reinvestigate the 2003 murder. While it could have been a simple robbery gone wrong, police believed Presh knew her killer. For years, the family has suspected Richard, an oddball cousin who viciously quarreled with Presh over money days before her death, but has never been arrested. And I'll bluntly tell you that it's all on the record that neither me nor my mother had anything to do with her death as to, I want you to understand if this this is where you're confused. No, you've made that very clear. You've made that very clear. In season four of Campside Media's Witnessed Devil in the Ditch, Campbell explores her story of loss and the unsubstantiated suspicions of the family outcast. The host minds the social and political impact of a small Southern town society murder and asks, if not Richard, then who? Spoiler alert, all eight episodes of Witnessed Devil in the Ditch are currently available on The Binge, and the first four are available on all platforms. We are going to be talking about plot points from the whole series. So if you want to remain completely spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes for our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. Now, the first thing I want to mention before we start talking about the podcast is that Richard is not the real name of Larison Campbell's cousin. She actually gave him a pseudonym for this podcast. We're going to be talking about Richard, but his name is not actually Richard, which I think was actually a great choice on Larison's part. She also gave uh, her aunt a fake name in the podcast as well, Richard's mother. Now, Laura Bricker, I listened to the first episode of this podcast. I immediately thought of you. Oh. And I put a Slack in our group Slack and I was like, Laura Bricker, you are really going to love the first episode of this podcast. And I think that the first note that you left kind of nails why. And it's all about Presh. The first time I met her, she had on like plaid pedal pushers, a man's shirt, uh, some man's reading glasses that were held with a safety pin on there. And she was reading like the New York Times. And I looked over and I thought, oh, this is a really fascinating woman. What did you think of Presh? And what did you think of her sort of being at the center of the first episode of this podcast? Yeah. So that's interesting. I was wondering why you thought it was um, something I would love. And well, so what I initially gravitated to is, you know, I'm someone who had a very close relationship with my grandmother. So listening to Larison talk about Presh and talk about the type of things they did together and how like Presh didn't go like orchestrate events. Presh just like incorporated her into her life. Like, oh, we're going out to like protest today or oh, we're going to go volunteer at the lot. You know, 
here's these political things we're doing or these things we're doing in the community and just took her along. And so to me, immediately I could relate to that. I'm like, oh, this is totally my grandmother in a way. But also that sets up for me the emotional stakes of Larison deciding to report this story, deciding to go back and, you know, not have this be something that they talk about informally amongst her family, amongst her, you know, her aunts and her father, who we hear from later, but something that is actually going to be for the public. But going into it, knowing the relationship that these two had, I understand why she was prepared to do that. One of the things that's interesting to me, Toby, is that there's no, at any point, Larison makes no bones about just being like, Precious is my grandmother. I love Precious. And she just gives us her view of her. And as a listener, I found myself like, like not at all challenged to like have my own point of view. Like at some points I was like, Precious is a fucking busybody. <laughs> Precious is a weirdo. Precious, like I had so many feelings about like I, I completely understood the love and the admiration and like kind of felt it myself. But at the same time, I was also making objective observations about this woman that were just so like the facts ingrained about her in this family as lore from the outside in some ways looked very different. I don't think Larison was unaware of that, though, when she was telling us those facts, right? Yeah, I would think that. I mean, I, it, she seems like somebody who had a, a hell of a lot of charisma that kind of got her through some stuff that was sometimes maybe kind of head scratching. I, I thought one of the things that the show did really effectively was sort of describing the relationship between Presh and her sister, Charlotte, who sort of lived in Presh's shadow. And in a way that, you know, as you were saying, I think you look back on it and it's like, you know, Presh doesn't seem like she was like very compassionate about that aspect of things. It doesn't seem like she was very understanding of giving her sister like a tiny bit of the spotlight sometimes or, or feeling like she had to sort of be the dominant voice in, in all these different situations. So, you know, one of the things I really like about this podcast is that while she, Larison will say things like that about Presh, and then she, she also says some stuff about Richard, she kind of lets other people and just sort of factual stuff kind of tell maybe a slightly different story so that you understand that she has, I mean, it's her family, right? So she she has her feelings about them based on a lifetime of interactions and knowledge and stuff. But then when you actually hear other people talking about uh, them or you hear about stuff that they did, like you can kind of see where there's there's sort of a crack between like her perceptions and what our perceptions are from the information we get from this podcast, which I thought was very sort of well done and sort of delicately done. And it it wasn't like heavy handed. It wasn't like, look at this. You could kind of understand where she was coming from while at the same time, understanding that she's got, she can't help but have somewhat biased feelings having this be the people she grew up with. I completely agree. I mean, I think it's, there is a case to be made that Presh was clearly a wonderful person, but was kind of mean to Charlotte and Richard at the same time, right? Like, why did she fucking care that Charlotte and Richard had this codependent relationship and loved living together? Is she made it all about her business and like she was so angry about it? Like, why was she so angry about it? And why was she so obsessed with it? And that so obsessed with it, the family believes it was a motive for murder, right? Like, it's right. like, 
back off, Presh. Come on. <laughs> You've got like other things you could be doing with your time. Your sister's old. <laughs> like, I don't know. I thought that was very interesting. Um, and I don't know. I, I just, it was like, I, something that I kept thinking about. At the same time, though, I fucking understood it because I know that I'm the same way sometimes when it comes to my own family members. For some of that stuff, you just hear it backed up by other members of her family when she's talking to them, right? Like they share her perceptions, which again, aren't ours as as listeners. But especially in the case of Richard, you find that she's a little bit of an outlier in her family in her the way she regards him. Right, right. So Kevin, this, like it starts off and I was thinking like, Larison is like, she's, she might be going in to try to like solve this murder that happened in her family. Yeah. As it develops, you realize it's kind of not that. It's kind of an exploration of like, you know, the dynamics of a, of a family in this kind of town. There's an exploration too of sort of like class and an exploration of, you know, small townness. And it's so, I mean, if you're looking for like a real murder mystery here, you're not getting that, right? No, it's not like you just read all my notes. No, I literally didn't. <laughs> well, I guess we're on the same, same wavelength because, yeah, I mean, if you're looking for the answer to the question of who killed this woman, you know, naturally in a podcast, we're likely not going to get that answer. And we don't um, necessarily, you know, no one gets ripped away in handcuffs. It really is more like a, like you said, like a meditation on family dynamics. And what happens to this family is they try to deal with, you know, this lingering suspicion of the family black sheep. Was it just that he was weird and they didn't like him before the crime that he sticks out? Or is, isn't that exactly the reason why he might have done it if he did do it? Larison does a great thing here about reiterating that Richard, not his real name, has not been accused, has not been arrested of any kind of crime ever. So that while it is very tempting for us as listeners to go ahead and just say, okay, it's that fucking guy. We know better than to actually do that. Like our gut is telling us one thing and all of our feelings are telling us one thing about where this is going and who might have done that. But we also have seen plenty of stories, people that were just arrested on nothing more than demeanor evidence about the way they acted as opposed to any other evidence. There is a way of, you know, telling a story if you have a point of view where you can insert the knife and twist it in a way that still keeps, you know, oh, but I never said, and he's not guilty, but, and they never go for that. It's just enough to kind of introduce you to Richard, which they do in this fantastic way in this episode, episode three that we got to talk about. But I think that it's good to just sort of let Richard be Richard in the podcast and for us to think about, ugh, what do we do with this where we have to figure out who the killer is and this guy looks really good for it, but why do we think that? Because he's not likable in any way. I mean... That's why we think that, But that's right? the thing. It's like, Lara, I mean, the family didn't like him before and like, yeah. Larison kind of makes no bones about it and then when she talks to him, he says things that makes me not like him. He's racist. <laughs> like, he's like, and I hate to use the word weird. I mean, he's clearly an eccentric, right? And he clearly is underdeveloped and like a little stunted in his life and all that. But he's also racist and he's squirrely as hell. And he's just says things that are off-putting. Like, yes, 
But that being said, it does not make him a fucking murderer. No, but you I'm going to say you can understand that why he's not likable. I understand. Actually, I was thinking like he couldn't be typecast even more perfectly if you were making a fictional show about a murder suspect. Like I kept thinking of like Ed Kemper as I was listening to this guy. Yeah, exactly. Like I'm like, this is like Ed Kemper living with his mother who he hates, who he's going to fucking kill. And he's going to kill all the other women that he fucking hates. I'm like, right, OK, you're going a little far there, but I understand what I understand where you're but going. You know what I'm saying? No, no. But I'm just saying like, well, the Laura, the, the scene with his mother falling. Yeah. Crazy. And I was, um, well, Richard couldn't get her up by himself. So she slept on the floor. You could call an ambulance for you. She says she begged Richard to call her nurse to help, but he didn't want to disturb her. Yeah, no, I think there's a lot about him that even if you are trying to be objective and look at this from a point of view of like, we don't want to like jump on this guy. He doesn't really help his case. <laughs> he doesn't really help his situation. And especially towards the end of this, where we have this, like, Larison goes back and wants to talk to him again and has like four pages of notes and, and he won't talk about this case anymore. He's done talking about it, you know, and they have this like four hour conversation. But I think the other part of this for him that's unfortunate is him living in this town and not only the relatives, but like everybody's in town thinks he did it. Like the Diner 12 or whatever they're called there. You know, the, the diner people. Table of are, wisdom or something. The, like the table, table of knowledge. knowledge. The, okay. So like the table the Romeos. of knowledge. Yeah, the Romeos. Oh, my God. They made an announcement for that at my church recently, the Romeos. I was so tempted to go because the guy was like, it's a Burger King. And you can get two for one breakfast sandwiches. Do you think Romeos sandwiches. is a New England phenomenon? Should we explain what the Romeos is for the listeners who are? Yeah. Retired old men eating out. Yeah. Retired old men eating out. Yeah. But yeah, so I mean, so you've got, we don't have the Romeos in this, but we have the, the table of knowledge or the table of wisdom at the diner. And people in the town were like, oh, yeah, that's the guy that killed his aunt. So it's like a widespread sort of belief. And then take it a step further. We find out that there's within that group of population of people within the community, the people that are like, well, he did it, but they're not going to charge him until his mother dies. <laughs> Because the family doesn't want it. And you're like, oh, this is really getting some serious small town shit here. Meanwhile, the family is like, charge him. Charge him. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, they're like, yeah. So so it's it's just fascinating. But he's he's a character that unfortunately, despite all your efforts to be fair and objective, you automatically feel sort of an aversion to. Toby, what are your thoughts about just sort of our first introduction to Richard and the fact that like Larison is like, my family doesn't like him. They've never liked him. And that, of course, puts him in the frame. And then you meet him and you kind of like, you see him objectively and you understand that he is, he's got issues. Like he's obviously has issues, but then he's also not likable. Like both things can be true, right? Yeah. So there's a few things that struck me. One of which is she, I think fairly early on when she's talking about him, she says, when we used to get together, it's like the extended family he was a generation above me. He was an adult, but he would be given a seat at the kids table. And I was like, that does not sound great to me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that does not sound great. That's an understatement. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, another thing I kind of thought about was 
and uh, just kind of bear with me for a second. But when I, when the last deep dive book, which was James Baldwin's book about the Atlanta child murders, uh, he talks about Wayne Williams as being similar in, in, in kind of a similar way. It's in a guy who's just generally not likable. He just turned people off. Like people saw him and were kind of repelled. And then the way he would act when he was sort of being, you know, put in the frame or accused was just weird and off-putting and made people want him to be guilty. And yeah. it feels like the same thing happens here in that, so you have the family who seem like super, super eager to have him be it. I mean, they become amateur detectives. It's yeah. like this Scooby-Doo gang, like going through garbage and shit. And they're just like trying to make it him. Yeah. And then you have all these other people. And they accuse him. You knocked her down and then you hit her with a candlestick. His reaction was a reaction of no emotion whatsoever. I remember that he wasn't outraged. He's confident. He's relaxed. He's calm. He didn't protest. And then you have like multiple people talking about how when they directly accused him, he was just, you know, so passive about it that that seemed like he was guilty because if somebody had accused me like that, I'd be pounding the table and stuff. And it's like, because he's unlikable, because he reacts in ways that you find like a turnoff or a born or whatever, like all these things don't make him guilty. They just make you not like him. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of the problem that we kind of run into. And we, I'm sure we're going to talk about this sheriff's deputy or sheriff's detective later. Oh, we will. But, you know, his hunch that it's him, like his gut, I think, again, it's just based on this thing. It's like this guy, for whatever reason, and it's unfortunate, I'm sure he does not want to be that way, but he's just kind of a repellent character. And that kind of drives all these people who kind of want him to be guilty of this thing. So they have somebody to blame. And also, I think it it kind of bears out all these sort of suspicions they've had about him from the beginning that, you know, had him sitting at the kids' table, for instance. Yeah. And notwithstanding all the uh, mad money he made in satellite radio by yes. investing in Sirius XM. Sirius XM, I find it odd. And I agree with Larison in this. It's not really a great alibi to say I wouldn't have killed somebody because I got $25 a year from her in my birthday card. She was my golden. She was, yeah, the golden goose. <laughs> By the way, for uh, you get a whole lot more than less for $25 over at Patreon. Oh, wow. Go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. What a transition to the business section that is. Wow. I'm no Richard, but... Uh, look at right now. You wait, wait. Is your is your handprint on? Is your thumbprint or fingerprints on the drawer handle for our Patreon right there? Well, you know, I'm always you know fixing the sink over at Patreon. <laughs> so you get all sorts of great stuff there. Uh, starting next week, you can get all the Crime Writers on episodes ad free. Plus, you get all the other great things uh, that we get you there at uh, at Patreon. You get the Crime Writers on After Show where we talk about toenails and just fall off your goddamn foot. Oh my foot. God, it was so funny. Uh, it was so funny. Don't be like, I don't want to listen to that. It sounds gross. It starts gross, but it is so freaking funny. It is so funny. 
Uh, let's see. We also get Laura Bricker's Leave It to Bricker podcast. Laura solves mysteries in her small town, and this time it takes her into the basement of her church to find out who is buried there. Toby Ball's got the next episode of The Deep Dive coming up. Toby's going to be recording live on May 10th. And the book is called Motor Spirit. It's about the uh, Zodiac Killers. But Toby, you've got an all-star cast who's joining us. Tell us who we can see you talking to. Uh, you can listen to uh, the love of your life, Kevin, Rebecca Lavoy. Oh, I thought you were going to uh, say Janet Varney. <laughs> Janet, Janet, well, Janet Varney, too. That's the love uh, of my life. Yeah, the love of Rebecca's life. This is getting very strange. Uh, but Janet Varney... And then also for making her deep dive debut, Jillian Pensavalli. Um, Yay! And Jillian and Patrick's Patrick Hines's company actually did the audiobooks for both of Jarrett Kobeck's Zodiac uh, books. So anyway, people who are really into the book, uh, the book's super interesting. Uh, it should be a great discussion. Yeah, everyone's going to get to listen to that podcast, but if you're a deep diver on uh, Patreon, you get to watch that recording. You can leave uh, your comments in the chat section. You even can uh, take part by, uh, if Toby wants you, you can come into the chat there and come right up on the screen and have a discussion. These are all great things you can get by going to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. This week also have a little special thing there for Patreon supporters. You hear us talking all the time about, hey, uh, Rebecca, you know, I sent you a note. And Rebecca said, Laura, you had this note. And I just said, Rebecca, it sounds like you read my note. We're going to be sharing a special link to Patreon people. You get to look at our script this week. Wow. And to go back, remember our discussion about Perry Mason and about this podcast? Go through and see all the things that we thought are of our bullet points. Some of the things made it into our discussion. Some didn't. See how we might have like played on that idea. And also, I mean, talk about a behind the scenes. See how it's all spread out. How does it, all this garbledy goop come off of the page and make it into, uh, into your ear holes? Wow. This is how we do it. You're going to see what these guys send me that I have to, like, put together a coherent conversation with. Yeah, you, can so also see, you can also see how little Rebecca needs to do <laughs> other than just show up and read the thing that the three of us have written for You're her. right. I have so little to do. All 12 pages of it. You're right. Why don't I even show up? I don't know. Why do you show up? Point. Yeah, we can just leave. have chat GBT do the oh, whole no. thing. There she goes. You know? You know what she did? She did the thing that uh, we had Laura make for us last week. Fuck that guy. All right, I'm coming back in now. Come back in. All right, so I'm Kevin, glad you're back. I'm sorry. <laughs> really just insulting my professionalism. It don't even matter. All right, so Kevin, before we uh, end the business section, do we have any Patreon patron saints of the week this week? Our Patreon patron saints are Mandy Stafford and Lisa Sims. Bless you. Bless you, Mandy and Lisa. Thank you for supporting us on Patreon. Thanks for everyone who supports us there. And we really cannot make the podcast without your support because, you know, this isn't free work that we do here and really, really do help us out in making it. But thank you for everyone else who doesn't support us. Thank you for just being loyal listeners because having an audience also helps us make the podcast. We appreciate you too. We love you all so much. And thanks for listening to the business section every week. And thus ends this business section. I'm going to fade that music out right now. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. 
It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with a modern design that lets you go further and do more. The exterior is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing, complemented by an interior built with integrity. The Defender capability is legendary. Whether you're facing off-road challenges or harsh weather conditions, its durability has been tested to the extreme. Powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system keep you connected. Innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering. And robust cargo capacity means more room for your gear. Ready for a wide range of adventures, the Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. To drive the Defender is to explore with greater confidence. Push what's possible with a vehicle made to go further. The Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. Hey, Keurig coffee drinkers. Need a cold coffee with a bold flavor? Dunkin' Cold K-Cup pods were specially crafted for cold coffee. Brew over ice straight out of the Keurig coffee maker for smooth, delicious Dunkin' taste you know and love. Find your next Dunkin' Cold coffee in the roasted coffee aisle. So, Kevin, back to you. We were talking about Richard before you made that very graceful transition. Yes. I have questions because we did hear in the podcast that the family did hire this private investigator. Everybody says is like this incredible detective. Mm -hmm. Is it Perry Mason? No, and that he did do this fingerprint stuff and that he did find Richard's fingerprints and like the only place in the kitchen that the killer would definitely have left their fingerprints, which is the drawer where this towel was. Yeah, right? not the knife drawer. Or, well, the tool drawer, yeah, yes, tool but drawer, also yeah. the drawer where the towel was, right. towels were. Right. I thought there was something between the face. towel drawer and the tool drawer. But okay, yeah, both, yeah. Both places. Her feet were together, and there was a dish rag over her face. That tells me right there, whoever did it knew her and couldn't stand us there looking like that. That's, that's some of the training I've had. If you see something like that, that's going to be your first clue to, to keep in your notes and your mind. I don't know if Richard did this or not, but I don't also know if he didn't do it. Just based on that one thing, that that to me wasn't like an aha moment, but right. it also wasn't like a not aha. That being said, the cops didn't corroborate that in any way for us either. So I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not asking you to give an opinion. I'm just sort of asking you, like, where did that leave you? I think this is the thing about this this particular podcast, which is how do we deal with this because it's either Richard or it's not Richard, right? It's not like it's Richard and the, you know, the burglar or the guy who used to be at the reform school the or whatever. Son. The foster son. He's so, he's so nice, or the mysterious the guy in the Cadillac that drove by. or it, It's it's just Richard. And, you know, you're right. It's just, it's one of these weird things where for us, for eight measly episodes, we're pulling our hair out trying to figure out what the deal is with this guy and how he fits into this crime. Can you imagine doing this for 20 years? Right? <laughs> I hate to uh, compare him to Ian Bailey, but how often do we have a figure who so clearly fits in the frame and is so personally irredeemable? But we just can't, we just can't say they're a killer. Is he that personally irredeemable? He's just annoying and gross. Okay, and like, maybe that's a, okay, says maybe, kind of a racist thing. Okay, maybe I'm going, I've gone too far, <laughs> but right. 
like Toby says, he's just like, we do not like him. And is that his great sin? Yeah. Is that the crime that he has committed? Is that he is unlikable yeah. or that he's on the outside, doesn't see eye he's to eye? <laughs> right, right. He's a leech. Well, I mean, like, is it really precious place to try, try to drive a wedge between Charlotte and her son to get him out because because Presh feels that he's he's clinging and or, or, or whatever? But, I mean, you could you could throw it like that. Yeah. But can you believe uh, Charlotte 110 or whatever she is? 101. I don't know. 101. Sorry, 110. I had it in my head. But that's amazing. It is amazing. Yeah. yeah, And they're like, well, they're waiting for her to die before they charge him, but she's going to live forever. Um, But she was with it until like, I mean, she was obviously still very sharp when Larison went to go speak with her. And this whole podcast, I wanted to say, you know, despite Larison's personal connection to this case, it's just so well reported, so well written. It really gives you confidence in the journalistic portion of this. And for me, like a respect for her as a reporter, but I loved just some of the audio in this. Like there's, so there's this like phone call where he's like, I was calling you because like mama fell and she's gone in the hospital. So mama wants you to know she's not going to be here for the interview this weekend. <laughs> like just certain little sound bites to me just added color and texture to this in terms of just the authenticity of the family dynamics and the story and the people involved. And 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 the other one that I loved in terms of just, again, the audio was when we have Larison's father and the aunts talking yes. about when they confronted Richard yes. after the funeral. And it was just so well, because I'm, I'm sure she talked to all these people separately, but the way that it was edited and like each person was adding in as the story was unfolding and we're hearing from everybody that was there. And then we said this to him and then we said that to him. And I thought that scene was amazing. I love Larison's dad. It seemed to me like he was there to back up his sisters because it doesn't seem like Larison's dad is like, Richard definitely fucking did it. It just seems like he's just like, maybe he did think that at one point, but he definitely seems like he's just like, this is what you want to do. I'll be there for you. And he says the same thing to Larison in the final episode. Like, I don't necessarily want you to do this podcast, but if it's what you want to do, then I want you to do that. You want to follow your passion. And also, Presh is dead. So even if she doesn't want you to do it, like, which I'm like, I, I just, I love him. I like, I would love to have a dad like that. I'm just going to say it. And, you know, for me, the interstitial scenes in this show that I love are her showing us the absurdities of this small Southern white society, like the woman who wrote the book about the weddings and the funerals and the woman who does the catering and is talking about all the liquor at the catering and like the lunches and like the foods you're supposed to have. I'm like, I know that these are like cultural norms in this place, but the way Larison writes it and shows it to us and the way Larison's voice changes when she's talking to people, do you notice like her accent code switching when she's talking to us? I heard it yet yeah, once. Yeah, it's yeah. incredible. It's incredible. And it's incredible how there's like no self-consciousness just about showing it to us. And at the same time, in the same podcast, she reveals the raw and bare racism of this same community. And I love it. I love it because I'm like the same lady that she had to go through the gated community to talk to who wrote these books is like the same kind of person as this cop 
who's talking about why he treats black kids and white kids differently when they are doing exactly the same fucking thing. And Larison just lets us meet these people. These scenes are just incredibly incredible. The tape is incredible. Her treatment of them is just done so well. And it's not in your face. I feel like I need to explain to you why this is important. Okay, now I'm going to apologize for this. She's just explaining to you what her the context of her life is and the context of this story is. Toby, can you just talk a little bit about the scene with that cop? Because that was very difficult to listen to, but it's also part of this portrait of this place. Yeah, I mean, it's it's incredible tape. Like, I, I can't quite believe it actually happened. Um, but yeah, this cop is talking about I can't remember exactly what leads into it, but he's talking about like, oh, community policing, you know, that's what we've been doing all this time. You know, sometimes I come up on kids and they're, you know, they're drinking and I guess I could haul them off to jail, but instead I get them to dump out their liquor and just, you know, don't do this anymore, whatever. And so you build a rapport and, you know, you don't have to like haul them off to jail. And then she asks them basically like, are these kids white or black? And he's like, white. And then she's like, well, what basically is the deal with black kids? It's like, well. So let's put this in perspective. I've got a group of white kids is up here that's drinking. You make sure somebody's going to drive them that's driving that's not drinking. You just don't let them go. But you build that rapport. Now let's go over to Strange Park. You remember Strange Park? It's a park near downtown. You go down there and you got they got lookouts on the corners and they're shooting dice in the, in the bottom. So we would all storm in there and jump out on them. And do we haul them to jail? Yeah, because you're grabbing them as they go because they're all gambling and drinking and everything else. Those black kids, you know, they've got lookouts and, you know, they're shooting dice. And, you know, the cops they run up, when they see us. And the cops show up and they all start running. So we're just picking them off as they come and we take them down to jail. It's like, do you hear yourself, dude? I mean... The reason why they're running is because you're going to take them to jail. Like the reason why the white kids don't run is because you're not going to take them to jail. Like it's not, you don't have to be fucking Einstein to figure that out. Yeah. I mean, I think one, one interesting thing that she, I guess it's kind of a subtext to some of this stuff, but she doesn't really confront quite as much as I thought maybe because uh, it really kind of hit me. I think at one point somebody says that the town is 80% black. Mm-hmm. Um, do you remember hearing that statistic? Yes, because it's when Richard says, it's probably, it was, it was oh, some yeah, black yeah, yeah, guy. Yeah. Right. And, <laughs> and it's then, just like, and then, odds are. Odds, and, and she's like, and, and she's like, that's, you know, that's, she calls bullshit on it or whatever. Yeah. And, and, uh, and like, and then it's like, well, everybody around here, but it's like, there's a scene where she goes and talks to a potential witness, the police talk to, and she realizes how dangerous it is for a black person to talk to anybody about a crime that took place in the past, even if they had almost nothing to do with it. Right. That's just true. And she's like, why would anybody want to talk to me? All true. So she acknowledges that her part of the town, she's going to a part of the town that she grew up in that she has like almost never been to before, even though that's what right. most of the town is like. Right. Yeah. It's just, I, you know, I thought it was like all this stuff that she's describing is really the culture of this 20% minority in this town. Right. And it's just so distinctive. And I think you know, rooted in in a history in which the racial yep. situation was, was, I mean, the numbers were probably the same, but, you know, everything else about it was different in some ways, but I guess also kind of the same in some ways based on the way these cops act and where the money seems to be, at least in parts of this town. 
so anyway, I, I just thought that was that was pretty interesting. It's another one of those things where she kind of you kind of hear about it, but she doesn't sort of dwell on it as much. That might have been the one place where I might have dwelled on it a little bit more. because uh, yeah. it kind of goes by fast. And I just when when he said that, I was just like, it kind of startled me a little bit. And I was like, wow, that's like a slightly different context to everything else that was going on than what I was kind of imagining up until that moment. Right, right. Kevin, I have a question for you about a detail about this crime. Okay. The cops seem to have convinced everybody. The initial blush was that because there was a cloth over Precious' face that she had to have been killed by someone she knows. Do you believe that is a fair place to begin the investigation of a crime just as an assumption? Because... I I don't think that it's off base but could that, that be the only reason be, why no, somebody would put it? No, could it have no. been just because the person didn't want to look at a face that was all bashed in? Could it have been because Absolutely. it was a sense of shame after yep. having done that, but it could have been a stranger? Yep. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think that you have to also think about, I mean, there, there are certain, like, these kinds of investigations, they're built on assumptions, and hopefully those assumptions get you to a place where there are facts, but I think it's okay to start hypothesizing at first, right? And just to kind of get the wheels going. So you say that, I think we found out that the murder weapon was a candlestick. Oh, maybe. They think it was a candlestick. They think it was a candlestick. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Could we not, like, make a reasonable supposition that it means that the person didn't bring their own weapon to the house and therefore their intention may not have been murder? Could be, you know. Could be the person brought a gun and it jammed and so they grabbed the, the, the candlestick or it's not a candlestick at all. Sure. The towel... I think that, you know, if you, there's a lot of anecdotal stuff. You, you want to call it profiling? Fine. That when something is used to cover the face and sort of not the rest of the body, that, that tends to be the case quite a bit. And so, you know, you put that together with sort of the other things going on that you could say, hey, if it was Richard, would he have done that? Probably statistically, that's what he would have done. Does that mean that it could only be Richard? No, but I don't think that they're wrong to assume that there's some validity to that action. I'll tell you some of the details that were interesting to me before we wrap it up. Mm -hmm. Larry says, like, Richard would have had to have walked there to do it. And like, Richard didn't walk anywhere. And like, I actually believe, I think that's actually a very astute observation. <laughs> like when someone doesn't walk anywhere, like they don't walk anywhere. Mm -hmm. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, you know, you just like you, the habits that you know about people. He's the laziest murderer ever. <laughs> like you just know them. Uh, 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 but I will say like his like weird suitcase full of all the stuff he collected is a great detail. His like leaving his mom, 101 year old mother on the floor after she fell is like weird. It's too early to call the nurse. Oh, my God. But the sad, sad things, just the remnants of this case that are so sad is that like the fact that Presh was murdered. And I just keep thinking like if Presh had succeeded in getting Richard out of the house, I'm not 100 percent sure she would have stopped being mean to Charlotte. I just don't think she necessarily I think she would have found something else. Do you think she still would have sent him a birthday card with $25 yes, in it. But I think she would have found something else to pick on Charlotte about. I really do. <laughs> I really do. And I still think that Charlotte would have had a sad funeral at an empty department store with like 25 people and sad sandwiches. It's so sad. Charlotte is just so unbelievable. And isn't every family like that? Like you have like the greatly celebrated people and then just like the wah wah people. You know what I mean? But then you also like 
they live in the same freaking town for like almost a hundred years or 80 mm-hmm. years or whatever it is. Yeah, and yeah. It's just like that dynamic is Charlotte's entire life without any end or it doesn't pause. It's just always that. It's like the twilight zone, it's like unrelenting purgatory, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with a modern design that lets you go further and do more. The exterior is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing, complemented by an interior built with integrity. The Defender capability is legendary. Whether you're facing off-road challenges or harsh weather conditions, its durability has been tested to the extreme. Powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system keep you connected. Innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering. And robust cargo capacity means more room for your gear. Ready for a wide range of adventures, the Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. To drive the Defender is to explore with greater confidence. Push what's possible with a vehicle made to go further. The Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. Hey friends, are you struggling to attract and retain top talent? If you're worried about recruiting and retention, consider Insperity, a leading HR provider. They'll help you improve hiring and compensation practices so you can spend more time growing your business and less time on HR. Visit Insperity.com and download their free ebook on how to build your dream team. Don't let a lack of talent hinder your success. See how Insperity provides HR that makes a difference at Insperity.com. All right, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out Witnessed Devil in the Ditch? All eight episodes are currently available on The Binge, a subscription channel from Apple. But the first four episodes are now available on every platform. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Witnessed Devil in the Ditch? Yeah, this is a big thumbs up for me. I found this entire podcast just extremely compelling and interesting to listen to. Uh, Right off the bat, it was something I could relate to as a journalist going back to investigate the murder of her grandmother, as someone who had a very close relationship with my own grandmother. But also we have a journalist who, as this gets going, is somebody that is doing tremendous reporting. There's great writing and just brings a really interesting story to life around her grandmother. And and it's just told in a very straightforward way. But some of the details are just so fascinating that they don't need anything crazy in the way they're introduced just because it's it's really interesting material. And, you know, I think I set into this thinking, okay, this is about this murder being solved. In the end, I really feel like actually this was Larison's personal journey. And, you know, maybe there's a different outcome that is going to happen. But overall, I mean, I just thought, I love the Southern atmosphere. Anytime we listen to something Southern, ever since S-Town, it's like that same sort of like Southern vibe. And I mean, honestly, 
if I die, I want you all to get pimento cheese at my funeral. (laughs) It's one of the essential foods, apparently. (laughs) I love pimento cheese. Uh, Some people think it tastes like cheese whiz. I personally just It does taste like cheese whiz and cheese whiz is fucking delicious. I love pimento (laughs) cheese. So that is why I'm giving this big thumbs up. Toy Ball, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for witnessed devil in the ditch? Yeah, I don't like pimento cheese, but that does not affect my... (laughs) thoughts about this podcast uh there's there's been a lot of really good podcasts this year and this i i i love this podcast i almost don't want to really talk a a whole lot about it because i i don't think it the things that are good about it it's hard to sort of summarize i think you actually have to hear it it's the storytelling it's sort of this this really interestingly nuanced uh look at the journalist's family she does this really interesting thing where you get a sense of how she feels about your family, but she's not, she's giving you the opportunity or the space to feel differently about some aspects of the family, which I think is a, is it's just an interesting thing to be able to do, like to A, to have that sort of be an intention and then being able to kind of pull it off in a way that's not super showy. Um, it's got some bits of like just really sort of incredible tape that kind of drive home some things that that we've talked about on this show quite a bit, but in ways that are sort of very organic and also just stark. And, you know, and, and I agree with Laura. I think the writing is is excellent. Um, yeah. So it's, you know, it's a Southern Gothic, basically. And I I, I really loved it. I, it could have could have kept on going as far as I'm concerned. Um, so anyway, uh, it's very, very big thumbs up from me. Kevin Flynn. I'm a thumbs up. Um, the writing is very, very good. It reminded me of Hannah Rostin from uh, Cover Story, Seed Money, which we did at the end of last year. That was the podcast from the New York magazine. It's an interesting investigation. It really is more about families and about one Boo Radley-like figure in this Southern <laughs> Gothic tale. Uh, and a question about sort of, you know, beyond really, I, I don't know how much they really dive into this, but this was sort of my my takeaway. It's an awful lot about why we suspect certain people and what do we do when you really, really in your heart know someone's guilty, but you have no way of proving it? What do we do with that sort of that lack of clarity and the things that, you know, make us think about where to go next with that information. So I thought it was, you know, it was, was well done. The investigation, you really do walk away thinking this is probably what happened, but how are we ever going to prove that? So thumbs up for you? As I said, thumbs up. Yeah, this is a huge thumbs up for me. I have like very minor production gripes about it. I will just say there's a little bit too much jarring and too short music beds in this. Larison Campbell's writing is so strong on its own that we do not need very short, like little bits of music here and there. They just sort of came and went in weird places that I did not need and I just didn't get it. Um, That's literally my only complaint about this podcast. I think that Campside has discovered a couple of really great talents in the last couple of years. Sam Mullins is one of them from Wild Boys and now Laris and Campbell is this next star of podcasting. Toby, you sent a note here, which was something I was thinking the entire time I was listening to this, was this reminded you a little bit of Murder on Middle Beach, Murder at Middle Beach, which is 
one of my favorite things we've ever reviewed on this show, the four-part HBO documentary uh, made by Madison Hamburg, who's investigating the murder of his own mother in Connecticut. This is less of a straight investigation as that was and more of a meditation, but it also digs into the family and is about the divisions within the family, the weirdness of the family, the culture of the family, and the very, the place where the family is from The sense of place in this is one of the most extraordinary explorations of a sense of place of anything I have ever heard without being precious. It romanticizes the place without being dishonest about the place. And that is very fucking hard line to walk. So just huge bravo for this podcast. I loved it almost from beginning to end, like without fail. I just can't say enough good things about it. I'm going to be recommending it to almost everybody I know. So huge thumbs up for me for Witnessed, Devil in the Ditch. And I also love the origin story of its title. And I love that they sort of held that back a little bit. And we found it out later in the podcast, like big thumbs up for that too. All right, that's going to do it for us. But before we go, Lara Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week? Oh, we have a dog of the week this week. Oh, that's my favorite kind of animal. Mm. Yay. I know. I have to mix it up once in a while. And this week, it is from one of our friends of the podcast who was recently in Exeter, New Hampshire. Yay. Uh, Angela Buster. Yay, Angela. Angela is an amazing foster dog mom. And a lot of us in the Crime Waters on Discussion Group and the Brichter Scale have been following Mop. And it is the one-year anniversary of Mop coming to Angela. This was a dog that Angela had to teach how to eat from a dog bowl. I mean, this dog was traumatized. I was afraid of grass. He didn't know what it was. He needed surgery to repair trauma from a groomer. He has been through a lot, but he's a little trooper. And if you give him a minute to gain your trust, he will give you infinite love. He is her little spicy potato. I love Angela's dogs. They all look like they've been through a lot and they all like adore her. They're very, very cute. Yeah. And so Mop has a little bow tie for his one year anniversary. So congratulations, Mop. Congratulations, Mop. Congratulations, Angela. Congratulations to you, Laura Bricker, for picking such a fine dog to be Cat of the Week. Laura, if folks want to reach out to you on social media to submit their dogs or any kind of animal to be Cat of the Week, how can they find you there? They can find me at Lara Brooker. Of course, you can also email them to us at crimeraidersona at gmail.com or put them in our Facebook group, whatever you'd like. Toby Ball, folks want to reach out to you and say, hey, Toby Ball, how can they find you on social media? At Toby Ball and H. And of course, they should listen to your Strange Arrivals podcast as well. Of course. Kevin Flynn, what about you? How can you be found online? I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. Good job, Peter Brady. <laughs> and if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On. And please join our incredible, amazing community in our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You get all the stuff we talked about there in our very spicy business section. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our editor is the wonderful Livy Burdett. The executive producer of this program is Kevin P. Flynn. This show was recorded in the Treehouse Yoga Studio above the Mockingbird Cafe in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi Studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our New Hampshire basement where we also count the money we've made in our investments in satellite radio. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. You know, the towel. Did you just break something? Yeah. Okay. Oh, my God. You put your foot through the thing and broke it. 
It's Rebecca's fine. had her foot up on like this um for years. Uh, for years on this shelf and you just on my like forty dollar shelves from Walmart. It's you, okay. You finally busted it. Okay. Hey friends, are you struggling to attract and retain top talent? If you're worried about recruiting and retention, consider Insperity, a leading HR provider. They'll help you improve hiring and compensation practices so you can spend more time growing your business and less time on HR. Visit Insperity.com and download their free ebook on how to build your dream team. Don't let a lack of talent hinder your success. See how Insperity provides HR that makes a difference at Insperity.com.